Hello, and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Sugo, and on today's episode, we have Andrew Cassidy. Andrew comes to the Life Teacher Podcast with more than 14 years of marketing and communications experience. He is currently the Director of Social Media for the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, which transports more than 1.3 million riders each day, where he plans, directs, and administers MBTA-wide social media communication initiatives. Prior to his position at the T, Andrew was the Director of Outreach for Emerson College internationally recognized as the nation's premier institution of higher learning devoted to communication and the arts, and the director of social media at Miami-Dade College in Florida, the nation's largest and most diverse institution of higher education. Andrew is the president and founder of Cassidy Consulting, a Boston-based marketing, PR, and communication consulting company. Using experience garnered from across his distinct career, Andrew has helped catapult brands and engage whole new elements of their communities. Please help me welcome Andrew. Andrew, how are you, sir? Hey, Hector. Thank you so much for having me. It's a a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Let's go ahead and get started with who is Andrew? And I know I, I said a lot about you in the introduction, but I want people to hear from you. Who is Andrew? Sure. Uh, so I guess this, before we get too in deep with anything, I'll just kind of add the, the quick caveat that everything I say is of my own opinion and you know that of Andrew Cassidy, uh, not of my current employer or any past employers or anything the like. Uh, but for as far as who Andrew Cassidy is, uh, born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, diehard supporter of the city. It's all of its fan teams and what have you. Lived down in Miami, which was where I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Hector Suko back in, oof, it's been quite a while. And I spent around a decade there before returning back to Boston uh, to continue my career and studies back here in Boston. And your level of expertise is definitely social media, correct? Yeah, um, and I've definitely worked across the entire communication spectrums, you know, everything from media relations, press releases and all that, uh, digital marketing, social media, of course, I've done design work, web design, all of that. So it's it's been kind of a broad gamut crisis communications where my career has led me, at least in my current position and kind of uh, truthfully as a common thread throughout my career has definitely been in the area of social media. I've been working on it since right around, I think it was 2007, uh, which is when Facebook launched Facebook pages. So uh, people weren't friending companies anymore. And there was actually kind of a business incentive. Uh, So ever since then, uh, slowly but surely, I've kind of got deeper and deeper into the space, kind of led me on my, my pathway and trajectory to where I am today. And so let's make one thing clear. If this was 50 years ago, this job would not have existed, correct? Correct. And I, I think another interesting point is it's not just the fact that 50 years ago, this didn't exist. It's while I was in school, you know, while I was in college, this really wasn't an area that anyone had really delved into. And surely they didn't think it was going to be more of a career for anyone. You know, the idea of someone doing social media as a job, I mean, you figure social media didn't really come onto the scene until, you know, 2004 with Facebook. So pre-2004, no one's thinking, you know, yeah, there was like MySpace, Friendster, things like that, but no one was thinking of that in any sort of business context. Uh, But it really wasn't until, you know, 2004 Facebook and realistically until, 
you know, 2007 when they launched Pages that there was a, a very specific business model where companies could respond and interact with their users and customers. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting space. And it's, again, you know, it's one of those things, the jobs that you're, you're going to end up in, you really don't know if, you know, what it is. It's hard to dream of being something when it doesn't even exist. That's what I find so mind boggling about the fact that there are social media careers out there, that it's just not something that you would have told your teacher, this is what I want to be when I grow up. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a very new space. It's constantly evolving. You know, social media professionals of, you know, the, the, the first wave you know, the people that got in super early, their skill set might not even be as well attuned to the current landscape of what social media is today. There's a big learning curve and the education never stops. Uh, the second you kind of plug out, you know, you're, you're really going to be kind of behind the times. You have to kind of keep your ear to the ground of what's best practices. And, you know, not just from a platform perspective, but just what people actually care about, what people want to see, what they want to learn about, uh, how they want to be engaged with, what have you. I do have to talk a little bit about your job. Now, I know that you said that what you say doesn't have anything to do with your job. So again, if you can't answer it, just let me know. Sure. You work for a public transportation entity. And we know that public transportation is not always the best and that sometimes things break down. Have you been the target of people's anger when something breaks down? Oh, yeah. Um, and how do you deal yeah. with that? Um, I, you, you can't work in this industry if you don't have thick skin, period. Um, you're going to get, you know, a, as the brand, you're going to get all sorts of anger and hatred, uh, regardless of whatever company you work for. Um, I remember there was a, uh, a television program, I think it was on Netflix, and there was this wonderful quote, which was public transit is like more hated online than like the IRS and Southwest Airlines and something else combined. You know, it's just uh, and it's because it touches so many people's lives. And, you know, again, 1.3 million riders every day. Each one of those is an opportunity to either make someone happy or, you know, make someone not happy. So, you know, we're obviously doing everything we can to try and make people happy and give them as you know, positive of an experience while riding on our system. Uh, but the reality is uh, things break. Uh, sometimes there's a delay um, outside of our control. We have medical emergencies and, you know, we need to, you know, stop things so that you know paramedics can get to the scene or what have you um but and people get frustrated by that and it's understandable uh and that's the kind of mentality that you need to have working in this industry is that it's not uh necessarily personal to you uh people are frustrated uh and the other thing is this it's actually taking it a step further uh you have to be an advocate for what you're seeing you know i I say you're you know looking out into the matrix as part of your job. You know, I'm staring at a dashboard with all these different feeds, uh, scraping social media to see what people are saying about us. Uh, I'm able to see all the nice things. I'm able to see all the, 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 the mean things. Uh, but I'm also finding out there's problems, uh, things that we need to address. You know, each one of those people, um, their inability for us to know what's going on on our system. Yes, we have cameras. Yes, we have um employees but with that many additional eyeballs floating around our system 
sometimes riders can let us know, hey, there's a little bit of a puddle here. Someone might slip. We're able to, you know, take that message and, and act on it, let facilities know so they can go up there, clean it, uh, what have you. So it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting thing. Uh, that being said, uh, I sometimes do get personally targeted outside of the brand itself. That's less fun. But again, thick skin, deal, you, you deal with trolls, but that's kind of the way it is. The Boston Herald wrote a story on me about a year 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 and a half ago after that everyone learned my name and of course the you know the, the haters are gonna hate uh and they kind of you know try to go after me on social media but you know again thick skin you gotta let it kind of roll off of you uh and, you know I, I i choose not to engage just because i like to keep my personal twitter personal and try not to mix the two to the best of my ability so so be it but again if it if, if you're if you're thin-skinned it's definitely not the industry for you I wanted to touch back upon people saying, hey, we got a problem at this facility. How often do you get those kind of tweets where you're alerted to an issue and you're communicating with people to fix the problem? Every single day. Every single day, multiple times. Can you give us a a few examples? I know you said the puddle thing. Yeah, um, it could be anything. It could be people are worried about a person that they saw. It could be that there's an altercation. It could be, you know, obviously the positives. Hey, I was lost and this individual really helped me get to where I needed to go. The, this bus operator, train operator was, you know, really nice. They, you know, they, they were really nice in their announcements. They were very clear. They announced every station they were going to. I had a question. They were happy to help. You know, we get all sorts of feedback. Again, it's a lot of people having a lot of different experiences. Uh, and we do our absolute best to, to respond to every single one of them uh, and assist all of them, even if they're trolls. We treat everyone equally. And well, how do you respond to someone that says there's an altercation here? We have our own police department. We have the uh, transit police. So we'll try to get any relevant information. We encourage them to call our transit police number just so that they can, you know, be the ones getting there. So there's no middleman, there's no slowdown. Uh, but we will obviously make that make that uh, information aware to all parties that need to know. Uh, if we have officials in that station, we'll let people know or onboard that vehicle. Uh, we'll let them know. So it's uh, we try to, again, look into the matrix to really know what's going on at all times so we can we can act as quickly as possible to deal with anything because you never know what's going to happen uh sometimes it's something small and it's not something that requires immediate attention but there's a chance that there's something really big that you don't want to miss so that's why you kind of always got to treat it like that and that goes back to that you know unfortunate work social media addiction where because things are constantly happening long before and long after that nine to five life you always kind of have to keep an eye out as to what's going on you know, 4th of July was no exception. I was checking social media, make sure everyone's uh, having a safe and, and happy trip, make sure there's no issues on our system. Uh, you know, we had a rainstorm up here, didn't want to see if there's any issues with any potential flooding or, or leaks or anything the like. Uh, so there's just a lot of uh, different ways that we can, you know, interact and be aware, but it is, uh, it, it is a little bit of a responsibility beyond your standard nine to five. I would like to take a step back and look at the history of communicating online. And I want to go through it with our perspectives. And I, and I guess we can match up as we go along. For me, sure. the very first experience I've ever had with communicating with someone online had to be AOL Instant Messenger with the slow going phone dialing in, internet connection. And oh, yeah. when I was messaging friends for the first time, it blew my mind. What was the first online communication that you had 
Oh, man, that's a that's a difficult one. Uh, I mean, I vaguely remember seeing, and I don't think I participated in them because I was a child, but uh, I vaguely remember seeing, you know, message boards of, you know, Internet 1.0. I, too, vividly remember AOL as a whole, uh, just like, you know, launching the application, keyword searches, forget even, you know, typing in an actual domain name. Uh, but yeah, I'd say AOL and Sim Messenger, that whole world. Uh, AOL was definitely my, you know, my choice. Uh, but I know MSN Messenger was out there, ICQ. Uh, and those were, I think, a lot of people's, uh, you know, I, I think that was where people really got their start. And I think one of the interesting holdovers, if, if you even want to call it that, from that generation is that group of individuals obviously you know they can easily go from messaging on AOL and some messenger to you know texting uh, they can go into uh, Facebook messenger into WhatsApp what have you you know that that made a lot of sense but I think what's really interesting is Facebook introduced the status update um, and I think that the I don't know if you remember them but the Facebook away I'm sorry the uh, the AOL and Messenger, the AIM away messages. You could be logged in and send an away message and kind of tell people what you were doing. And I see that as almost a one-to-one uh, with how people use Facebook because that's evolved too. You know, Facebook's been around since 2004, but you have to remember, I mean, it's, it, even when you get those updates of like, uh, or those reminder notifications, it's like, hey, you posted this 10 years ago. Uh, a lot of the posts, they don't necessarily match up. They used to say like, what is, you know, what are you up to right now? And people would literally just post like, you know, they wouldn't, they would post in a third person and be like, Andrew Cassidy is at the dentist, you know, something like that. Um, and I think that is, you know, I think that's interesting in and of itself where people kind of use it more as like a passive uh, way of communicating. Uh, people would you know, post their status update, people would comment on it, then you'd come back to it. Uh, whereas now people make a declaration and they kind of expect that immediate back and forth response. So again, it's just been a, a very interesting evolution, uh, not just in the different platforms that have you know come to life over the years, uh, but also just the way in which they're being used. And then for me, the game changer was definitely MySpace. Now, I graduated high school in 2004. I didn't even know about Facebook. It, uh, it was only a college thing. When I entered my job at Best Buy, someone told me about MySpace. And I was like, okay. So then I logged in. I set up an account. And there it was. My friends from high school, I was able to connect with them again. Yes, you had your wall. You can post on other people's walls and you had this music thing, but you also had the bulletins and you can write whatever you want on those bulletins. And I remember seeing images of parties that were coming up and advertisements. Did you have a MySpace account? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was uh, probably my first true foray into social media. Um, you know, had to have the background just right, had to be designed right. just right. You had to have your amazing playlist that took, you know, 20 minutes to load to get on there, depending on whatever mood it was you were in that you wanted the right song to be playing. Uh, and then there was the always uh, controversial top eight. The who top eight. And who wasn't in it? Uh, was it just Tom and you wanted to stay neutral or did you really want to say, did you really want to rank your friends? Uh, so that definitely added a, a level of controversy and, uh, you know, complexity 
to to social media and what they were used for. Uh, I think a lot of people designed them and kind of left them alone as static updates or almost as like an online journal that other people could read. Uh, but there was a lot of kind of behind the scenes going on and you know how much you could bling out your your uh, your page space. Yeah, yep. that made a big difference. And people would see something and oh, that's so cool, or oh, they have that song, they're so deep, or whatever it was. And then after MySpace came Facebook. And again, somebody told me you should go on Facebook. It's pretty cool. And I'm I'm someone that gets very easily influenced. So I went on Facebook and again, it was kind of like MySpace again, where I was finding my friends and family and adding them on Facebook. But then it, like what you said, turned into the powerhouse it is today. When did Facebook become, or when did you realize that Facebook would be growing to the point where it is today? Did you ever have any thought that it would grow to the point it is today? I mean, I, I don't know that I predicted it to go exactly this way. And again, my, my, my thought process at the time was a lot different. But I remember 2004, my brother was going to college and he, he showed it to me. And it was just like, I mean, it was mind boggling. It was, uh, you know, the, the, one of the biggest factors for it was the fact that not everyone could access it. You know, you had to have a college account. And in the beginning, you had to be going to certain colleges. Uh, it started up here in Boston with Harvard uh, over in Cambridge. And then it kind of slowly trickled out to local area um, colleges. And then from there, it just kind of blew out to, you know, the world that it is. Uh, but even that notion of exclusivity, you know, oh, are you on Facebook? You have to be on Facebook. I mean, and, and how personally tailored it was. It was just for people in college, just people between, you know, those four years of college. That's insane. And then I remember really wanting to be on that. There was no opportunity at the time to get on there for myself. I didn't have a .edu email address. The, the two-year institution that I went to, the email addresses that they provided did not were not edu email addresses. They were at a .net account for whatever reason. That was an extraordinarily frustrating. There was some weird loophole. I think I tried to sign up as like a high school kid student or something like that. I think I might have got on at some time that way, but when I finally got my proper uh, I think it actually opened up before I got, even got my .edu when I was able to, you know, actually join. I mean, again, it was just the place to be. Uh, and, it's, and it's hard to describe because it was a very new space. It wasn't just shifting. It, and honestly, it was so different even from my space, which we'd all become accustomed to. It was just so, you know, new frontier. You know, oh my God, I have to connect with everyone I've ever met in my life ever. Like, who did I go to kindergarten with? I got to find them. I got to find them. Uh, and you wanted to show people what you liked. And you're like, oh, I, I like Coca-Cola. Yes, I do. I drink that. I will have to like that. I like McDonald's. I like like all these major corporations and, and what have you. And it was, it was you know, beautifully innocent at the time where, I mean, before it really got um, it, as large as it, as it is now and, and got all the more complex uses for it. Um, it really was a very community-based thing. Uh, people were checking each other all the time. They were updating their statuses multiple times per day. Algorithms were not determining whether or not your 
content was posted to your friends. Uh, it was primarily text-based because, again, this is pre-smartphone. That's the other big thing about this. Facebook preceded the smartphone. The iPhone comes out in 2007. That's three years of, of growth where people really cared about it. And I remember there was, uh, God, I, I'm trying to remember what brand it was, but there was some, you know, quote-unquote dumb phone that had the ability to log on Facebook. Again, it was like, you know, probably $30 to log in based on data rates back then. It actually had like a button on the actual unit where you push the button to you know, go to Facebook and it was this whole thing that you could do it while mobile. But again, it was all text-based and it was, it was, it's interesting. There's poking people. There was like really simple games. There was that whole vampires and zombies thing. And fast forward, what, what I think a lot of people didn't realize and probably still don't realize is that in the process of agreeing to all these games and quizzes and what have you. They were also volunteering more and more of their information, information of their friends. And again, it was it was a free platform. You wanted to be there. You weren't thinking about, you know, terms and conditions. You weren't thinking about what went along with it. It was an interesting, interesting thing. And it, even today, I still see people that are like, you know, I don't know, what Pokemon are you or whatever? Uh, that same person will then be spouting off about online privacy. And I'm like, well, I think you're, I think you, you, maybe you should read the terms and conditions, but I think you're the one who's kind of volunteering that information you want to, you want to hold close. So it's a, it's a complex thing. You can still poke people on Facebook, which I find hilarious. That's number one. Number two is buried. Yeah. For me, the game changer was when I was doing my teaching internship with a teacher who was in her late forties and she told me she was on Facebook and I was like, what? This isn't just like my generation anymore. This is skipping a generation where my internship teacher was now on. And I noticed, started to notice that older generations were getting on. And then everything you said, Farmville, poking, I mean, the list goes on and on as to how much Facebook evolved and how many new things that, that they brought. Around that same time, Twitter had just come on I think Instagram started as well. Snapchat came in. Andrew, how does social media, from your perspective, affect our world? I mean, at this stage, it is one and the same. I don't see social media going away. Uh, I think it's just as you know, as much a part of society and consumption as television was seen. You know, back when that started first entering households, uh, you know, all those years ago. Can I stop you right there? Sure. You are ready to claim that social media is not part of our world, that social media is our world. Did I hear you it, correctly? It, it's it, it's one and the same. It's it's, you know, it's part. It's just like the way you and I are talking right now. It's that conversation is, is this, you know, is our communicating not part of the world? And does the medium make that much of a difference? Uh, if I give you a phone call, if we're doing a, a Zoom as we're doing right now, is, is that where the, the line is drawn? Does it have to be synchronous? Does it matter if it's asynchronous communication? But I think that so much of our world revolves around social media and so much of our world uses social media to express itself that it's very hard to dissociate the two would the world continue if social media suddenly went away tomorrow absolutely the way society is structured right now 
it is playing an integral role that pretty much every facet of life needs to be on it. Uh, it needs to find ways to utilize it for connecting with people, for enrolling new students, for getting people to buy a product, to educate people, to tell people about the news and what's going on in the world, to organize for good, to organize for bad. There's just so much it can do. It's kind of a, a Swiss army knife, so to speak. And it can be used for great and wonderful things. And it can be used for horrible, terrible things. But it is it is out there. It's not going away. It will continue to evolve. 10 years from now, we're going to look back at this podcast and it'll be so dated that we won't be able to understand how, you know, like how much things have changed just because, you know, again, 10 years ago, where was Facebook? And did you imagine where Facebook, Twitter, what have you would be going on? Did you imagine that TikTok would be front and center these days where people would just be singing and dancing and making short clips and what have you? It's, it's an ever evolving world. So we know rumors exist. And I get this a lot as a teacher where a middle school student will post a rumor on social media. And now, now it's affecting the real world where somebody feels that they were bullied. And, you know, I, I always try to differentiate the two. Hey, that's social media. That's where people go to express themselves that they won't say to your face. They're hiding behind the screen. If they say it to you in real life, then you have something, you have evidence, or you have that face-to-face -face interaction, which I don't think they will do. How much does social media overinflate the good and the bad of humanity? I mean, it's exponential, really. It can make good causes front and center and inspire. But again, it, just like we're talking, it can... It can re recruit terrorists. It can, you know, cyber bully kids into doing unspeakable things. It's, it's again, it's kind of a tool and it's, it's a very difficult thing to manage. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, having to be involved, obviously with kids, you know, you need parental involvement, but even still, you know, kids are connected and, you know, elementary school I'm sure all of your students everyone has a phone so even if you know you're the most wonderful parent and you're always over your kid's shoulder and all that you're still not going to know everything that's going on kids create their finstas their fake instagram accounts that you know have one that they show their family and one that they show their friends it's a it's a complicated world I mean for as far as cyberbullying is concerned I, mean, I feel horrible that kids have to deal with that it's a different kind of thing than bullying has been in the past, just because if you were bullied at school in the past, when you left school, the bullying stopped. You Again, just going back to saying how social media is so much a part of your life, you can't really escape that. You can just choose not to be on social media, and that is a solution for some. But again, by choosing to... To, to not partake in social media, there's the other flip side of that coin where, oh, then you didn't find out about that party. Oh, you didn't get the opportunity to laugh at that joke that everyone in the room is now laughing at. So you're now orbiting, I guess, the the, the social norm that's going on. And it's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, I, again, because it's so imbued in our reality, it, it's really hard to take a matter of fact stance one way or another. You got to, you know, prepare your, yourself, your friends, your family, uh, children, what have you, for anything and everything that can happen. 
but it is uh, it is an unknown territory. Uh, you'll you'll see it even with you know I think it was like the first multiplayer video games that had like they had a, a parental rating of whatever it was, but they would say this rating may change when you go online because you don't know how other people are going to act. And at the end of the day, it's not Facebook, Twitter, or anyone else doing anything to you. It's another person that's choosing to utilize that tool for you know a bad reason. So you're saying that FOMO is an actual real thing that can happen to people who choose not to be on social media, fear of missing out. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, even when you're on it, I think I mean, FOMO is everywhere uh, just because there's so much, you, you, you consume so much to want so much, you know, you could be scrolling your friends and maybe your friends went on a trip and they went to someplace exotic and it looks great. They had tons of fun. You're like, wow, I really wish I had gone there. So there's this benchmarking that happens from there as well. And again, if you see that everyone went out to a party and you didn't get invited to that party, obviously that's a that's a, a, an aspect. Uh, so that's how you can have FOMO while being on the platform. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times has someone come up to you and said, hey, did you see that meme, that video, what have you? And maybe you didn't know what they were talking about, but maybe everyone else in the room knew what they were talking about. So that's what requires you to be plugged in in that regard to, to make sure that you're acutely aware of everything that's happening. And on the, you know, on the business side, it's, it's actually quite similar, where if you don't know what the current trends are, your business can suffer the same way you would as an individual. If you try to jump into a trend that you don't fully understand, or if you realize that a trend went off like wildfire and all these other people, including your competitors, were able to seize the opportunity and you were not, you know, that leaves you on a different level. So it's, uh, this is where, again, it just, it's so all-encompassing that uh, it's just everyone is kind of... Uh, <laughs> is doing their best to always be plugged in so they can always be relevant. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's establishing relevancy. It's understanding where things are and wanting to always be able to be kind of at the, at the front and center of things. Talking about the front and center of things, I do want to ask you about your opinion on the New Jersey Twitter account that responded to someone with your mom. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. That's an actual state Twitter account and whoever yep. manages it decided to respond in this way. I'm pretty sure it wasn't sanctioned by the New Jersey governor or anything like that. How, mm -hmm. how do, what is your opinion about something like that where we know that New Jersey is stereotypical, you know, that's where the Jersey shore took place and they have this attitude and the, and the guy or the woman just ran with it. I don't know if there were any consequences. I think it was accepted nope. by many. What's yeah. your opinion about that? Um, the the two women that run uh, the New Jersey Twitter account, I, I mean, I, I think it was excellent. I think they leaned into something. I yeah, there was one. I I don't remember the exact story, but I know I believe there's a social media manager who ran something by her boss who said, "Yeah, let's do this." Uh, and I think that's a big thing. Obviously, wow. you know, the, the governor doesn't pay close attention to what's going on and that. And again, the governor has their own account. This is just for the state itself. But, you know, they, they went with it and it did well. And, you know, it, it goes back to, I mean, this all goes back to Wendy's. And I will say, I think New Jersey has done a great job with it. They haven't just been antagonistic for the, same, the sake of it. If you do follow their feed, they're very 
casual, but at the same time, they know how to be their brand. They know how to utilize that voice for important messages. They can say your mom, but at the same time, they can provide, you know, relevant COVID information, can provide, you know, any sort of, you know, if there's a natural disaster, any sort of anything like that, that they're able to kind of switch gears, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And again, it wasn't just a full ripoff. It was great that they're willing to call people out. They're willing to kind of lean into that. Uh, But at the same time, you know, just like New Jersey is more complex than, you know, the Jersey Shore, they're able to kind of encompass kind of a lot of different regions of New Jersey, you know, North versus South debates and, you know, New Jersey versus New York versus other states. They they know how to speak to their, their base, so to speak. So people from New Jersey, while still getting noticed by, you know, you, myself, millions of others uh you know again the 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 new jersey twitter account has no bearing on my life i don't live in new jersey so what they're talking about doesn't really affect me but at the same time i find it entertaining and fascinating enough that i do follow them on twitter so i think it's a it's a really interesting uh move uh but that being said i do say you know as i was saying wendy's kind of started this whole thing where they just said you know what you know the, and that person did not have permission. They thought they were going to get fired in the process. Uh, and the person who started that has since long since left Wendy's. Uh, so they've just been a kind of continuation of that voice through you know, social media manager after social media manager. But I've seen a lot of brands try and just you know, adopt that same shock jock kind of approach to social media. And it just doesn't fit. And when everyone's trying to be Wendy's, then it doesn't work. You got to find your own unique brand, your own unique voice, and it has to reflect, you know, who you are. Uh, You don't want everyone to just, you know, even if people are laughing and engaging and liking, it doesn't mean you're actually providing value to people. Uh, So you have to figure out, you know, what is the point of that? That works for Wendy's. It's a fast food chain. Uh, You know, similar things can work for Taco Bell and other brands that you see out there. Uh, Moon Pie. There's like a bunch of different brands that kind of have that more casual approach. It's it's not for everyone. And I think that's where people have to understand that that is not a social media strategy in and of itself. Well, you bring up a good point because Cheerios was very controlled when John Oliver from last week tonight dared them to curse on their Twitter feed and Cheerios did not bite. Instead, they said, you know, you're going to give 25000 to to whatever, to a charity. Well, we're going to give 50000 to a charity and we're still going to support you, but we are not going to curse. And I think they did the right thing with staying on brand, even though they were tempted to. 100%. I always tell everyone, you know, the first rule of communication, social media or otherwise, is to know your audience. Hard stop. And the audience of Cheerios, again, this goes back to the Wendy's point, they might have got a million likes and retweets and blah, 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 plenty of uh, publicity, but they also would have probably scared away a lot of their their demographic. You know, what, what, what do you think of when you think of Cheerios? Cereal, family see- time. Right. Family, exactly. So most of their ads, they show little kids eating Cheerios as snacks. It's healthy for them. Then they talk about heart health. Uh, they want to keep people around and healthy, just swearing because someone dared you to. And again, this is a multi-billion dollar company for $25,000. It's not, you know, it, it's not enough of a, of a carrot for them. So I think they did a great move by not doing it. I think they did a much better move by uh, still choosing to engage and make that donation. I think that was 100% the right call for their brand. Excellent. Andrew, I want to pivot to 
mental health because if your declaration of social media is our world, you cannot help but see more people coming out and saying, I have anxiety, I have depression, and I'm wondering if social media has been somewhat of a driving force behind that since everything is so inflated. Your want to succeed, your want to be accepted in the world, FOMO, do all of these things that social media brings to the table as baggage affect people's mental health? What is your opinion about that? I mean, I'm sure it does. There's no way it can't. I mean, I think for some people, it could be a positive. I'm sure there's people who maybe don't feel as comfortable walking up to a stranger and making friends that have used social media to, you know, find like-minded individuals to, you know, broaden their social circles, whether it be through a Facebook group or, uh, you know, a LinkedIn requests. Um, I think there's, you know, there's definitely positives mixed in there, but I think there's a learning curve that comes with it. So it almost reminds me of the, the, the 24 hour news cycle. You know, where there's always something happening. If you watch, you know, pick your pick your poison of 24-hour news channel. If you're watching that all day, you're going to be convinced that the world is coming to an end and everything's terrible and you don't want to turn away because you don't know what's going to happen next. Social media is pretty much the same thing. If you use it in moderation, you can learn a lot about what's going on. Uh, you can, you know, you can you can connect, you can share ideas, you can you can grow your IP uh, your your idea. You can find ways to shift how you think about things, which I think is wonderful. Um, but yeah, if you kind of go all in and you become truthfully addicted to it, then yeah, there's an absolute uh, negativity that comes along with it. And it can be very, very taxing, um, which is why, you know, especially in the, in the field of social media, it can be a lot too, because there's this 24 hour expectation for brands uh, there's a 24-hour expectation for, for individuals. So when you mix those two things together, clearly there's not enough time in the day. And even if there was, it'd be too much. So there's, uh, there, there's a lot to consider. It can be, you know, it's, it's all in kind of moderation, how you use it, uh, to what value you place on it. Uh, but I think it's kind of one of those things that people have to learn as they go. Uh, it's not just, you know, uh, an absolute bad, uh, but yeah, it can have addic- uh, an addictive property to it and it can, you know, head down a, uh, probably a bad area for a lot of people. Andrew, in the film, The Social Network, Sean Parker is the character that is played by Justin Timberlake. He was in- integral in the start of Facebook and talking with Mark Zuckerberg about starting the platform. He was interviewed by Axios. And he said a few things that I would like to quote for you uh, and the audience. Quote, anytime someone gets a notification, they get a dopamine hit so they can stay on the platform. It's a social validation feedback loop, exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. End quote. Do you think that Sean Parker is right, that people go to social media and just they cannot wait to see if they got a notification on a post, a picture, anything they they put online? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think it's solely for social media, to be honest. I think in our age of apps, I think about the millions of uh, notifications I get throughout the day, 
that makes you think, oh, do I have to check? I mean, even just the fact that my phone buzzes and I have to check it to see what's going on. I think that's, you know, part of the, the anxiety of it uh, and that you have to kind of, again, meter your, your consumption and figure out what's important, what's not important. As far as likes go, I mean, unfortunately, in every way, shape and form, uh, life ends up being a popularity contest in one way or another. And we do always seek validation of other people's approval. You know, even the most confident of us really do like it when we get that compliment, uh, which then leads to people kind of curating their lives and uh, basically being PR agents for themselves. Uh, you think about, you know, which photo you're going to post. You're going to post the honest photo or the one that makes you look a little bit better. You can post the one that makes you look a little bit better, but someone else in the picture not that great. Which one are you going to choose? And I think there is something nice about having nice things said about you. It's just when that's your only source of validation, or you, again, you place too much of an importance on that specific validation, that's where it becomes more dangerous and more self-destructive. People like certain vanity metrics that, you know, make it look like, oh, we got a million likes and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, that's always a, a factor to consider. On the same note, I think that certain social media uh, platforms have noticed this, which is why I know Instagram specifically, obviously owned by Facebook these days, they've been testing out hiding likes on photos. So that that's less of the driver for it. I've seen that demoed to me on Facebook a couple of times where the, the number of likes won't be uh, visible. They'll show just kind of the, the emojis or emoticons as they call them, or I'm sorry, Facebook reaction buttons. That's the one. Too many generations of smiley faces. They'll show that. They'll show like the general sentiment almost, uh, but they won't show the, the number of it. So I think that's a step. I don't know that it's a fix. Uh, they've been demoing that for, I think, years now. So I don't know that they've found enough concrete data to go one way or another to, to make that change since it hasn't been you know, widely rolled out. Uh, but it's, uh, it's definitely something to consider. But again, I think it all goes back to that kind of uh, everything's good in moderation. Yeah, you hear this advice everywhere you go, even on social media. Stop worrying about what other people say or think about you. They don't pay your bills. I hear that all the time, especially from my wife. But if you really look deep into that sentiment, go back to our caveman days. What was the number one thing that was a very threat to one caveman? And that was ousted by the group. You needed to hunt in packs. You needed to stay in caves in packs. Human beings as cavemen survived being in groups. So if you made an error, if you were ousted from the group, your fear, your amygdala would flare up because being ousted from the group meant certain death out there in the wild all alone. I think it's the same thing here where you want to be accepted. You want to be liked by the quote unquote group, your inner circle, your family, your friends, your coworkers. So you post something and people like it. That's validation for you. And, you know, every time that you go on Facebook and you see that it's a dopamine hit, you, your brain likes it because it, it helped you survive as cavemen, but now it just makes no sense. But that hardwiring is still in our brains. I don't know if you wanted to respond to that. No, I mean, again, I, th I think that it's, uh, you know, it's a very real thing where we always want to be you know, liked, and we're always seeking other people's approval. I remember in uh, elementary school, there were uh, a pair of shoes that like everyone suddenly had to have. 
They were, I think, Fila Grant Hills. And they were whatever looking shoes. They're okay. Uh, I don't think they fit me particularly well. I had wide feet, but I had to have them. Uh, I remember going to the, the, the local kind of like sporting goods store to, to grab a pair. And it was like, I, I even knew then as a kid, I mean, I was in elementary school, but I knew like, I don't want this, but I just like, I got to fit in because this is the way that this group operates, unfortunately. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to say, oh, it'd be great if I could rise above and wear my whatever shoes and this and that. Uh, but that, I mean, again, from, from, from our, our first social interaction, you know, why are we afraid to make friends on your first day of preschool or elementary school? You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid people won't like you. It's scary and new. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's just ingrained in who we are. And kind of going back to the original point, social media is just that tool. Um, obviously, it definitely amplifies things, including the, the stresses and pressures of, of kind of needing to perform. Uh, again, I think about younger people today uh, and what's involved. It's not just being on Facebook and posting every now and then. It's, you know, choreographing a full TikTok and doing it, you know, every time the next trend comes out so that you can fit in with your friends. Maybe your video does better than someone else's video. I'm sure people are comparing uh, view numbers and, 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 and likes and all that. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's constantly competition and it's constantly seeking approval, but that's uh, unfortunately human nature, I think. So anybody can tell from the outside and even oneself, if you're addicted to a drug, right? You can't live without it. You need it. You need it. And there's even body ticks that you can do, like start scratching, saying, I need this drug. I need this drug. But social media addiction is something completely different. How would somebody know if they're addicted to social media? I mean, I think for me, I actually think that most addicts of any nature don't know they're addicts. I think they perceive their behaviors to be normal. They don't realize that they're kind of straying, that they're relying on X, Y, or Z too much. And because of that, that's you know really what fuels the addiction. Some people, absolutely, they know they're addicts, they're trying to get help, they're trying to fix. But I think a lot of people... Uh, in every sense, uh, who are addicted to things, I think they kind of are able to convince themselves that they, they're in control, they're choosing to do that, even if they're doing too much of something that they're choosing to do it. And therefore, they're still in control, they can stop when they want, they're just choosing not to. And I think, again, going to social media, I think it's the same sort of thing, where people are like, oh, of course, I don't need social media, of course, it's not that important, of course, blah, 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 blah. But the second they get, you know, that free couple of minutes, why do they suddenly start going to facebook.com, twitter.com, open up their phone, open up Instagram, open up TikTok, what have you. And then, you know, in that same vein, you know, start, you know, scrolling and scrolling, look at your watch and realize, you know, hours have passed. And I think that's the other, the other interesting thing. So it's, you know, time. Uh, but, but I think a lot of this is, I mean, I think we've been slow as a society to deal with this, but I mean, I've been thinking about, I forget it was like, it was like iOS 13 or 14, uh, maybe 12, but they introduced the, uh, the screen time uh, notifications. So if you have an iPhone, they let you know that, hey, you've been looking at your screen for this many hours this week. By the way, that's 20% more than last week. And when you're looking at your screen, you're on you know Facebook for 80%, Twitter for, for whatever. And I think that's a little bit of at least an option for a self-check 
because I think if you get that number and you say, wow, I was, I was on Twitter for, 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 you know, 20 hours last week, that's almost a whole day of me just on Twitter. That's crazy. But I think when you quantify things, it, it'll help people realize, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be on there as much as I am. I thought it was only that much, but here's the numbers. Uh, I was staring at it for, for this long. And I think I could use that 20 hours to you know, do whatever else, exercise, uh, start that thing I've been meaning to start that I've been putting off for so long and say I don't have time for. Um, so I think there's, there's a little bit of an education. Again, I think tech companies are very slowly but surely catching up and enabling users to, to, to take control, but it is a very long process. And obviously, just like with any other addiction, uh, it requires that person to kind of want the help to want to change. Yeah, another issue that, quote unquote, being addicted to social media brings is that it's not that clear. If I'm addicted to a drug, if I'm addicted to alcohol, my family and friends will say something to me and maybe even have an intervention. But if I'm addicted to social media, not no one's going to say anything unless I'm clearly showing physical signs of pain, like crying because I didn't get enough likes. Yeah, my wife's going to say something to me. So it's really not that easy. And I think that you're correct. The screen time feature on the iPhones now is a good start. Is there any other self-reflecting practices people can do to see if they're spending too much time on their phones or on social media? I mean, the, the best thing you can try to practice, and obviously it takes effort, um, is truthfully just self-awareness. You know, are you having a conversation while staring at your phone? How many times does your phone come out during dinner? Are you able to, you know, if your phone is not around, do you immediately have to rush to go get it? If so, why? Is it because you're waiting for a call? Or is it because you want to have the ability, if you have 30 seconds of downtime, to quickly open up? Your, your phone, pick a social media app and you know, see if you have any notifications on uh, you know, new TikTok subscribers or YouTube comments or what have you. Yeah, honestly, I read a question, a philosophical question. And to this day, I know what my answer would be. And I think people would have to be honest with themselves. Would you rather have your phone for the rest of your life, but your non-dominant hand will have to be amputated. So I'm right-handed, it would be my left hand. And my answer would be yes, amputate my left hand because I want the phone for the rest of my life. Oof. What would be your answer? Um, it's your job, but- I like, mean, it's my job, but I can use a laptop. Uh, <laughs> I'd much rather have my left hand than uh, my, my phone um, personally. And, and that's someone who, who works in social media. But, but then again, for me, uh, I also look at social media a lot as work. Uh, and I think that's a, a different kind of disconnect for me. Uh, I do use it on a personal level, but truthfully, I also get tired of using it on a personal level. Uh, you know, your friends with me and follow me on certain platforms. Uh, I am not the most uh, frequent poster out there just because, I mean, the last place you want to go after being done with work is back to work. And uh, for, for better or worse, that's what's well, happened to me. But I am still guilty of checking uh, work social media uh, all the time. So that's the that, that's the flip side of that coin. Well, there are only there are certain social media channels that you can only post with a phone, like Instagram and TikTok, and even Snapchat. Correct? Uh, Instagram enabled desktop, I believe, 
last month, uh, finally for posting. Uh, obviously, you can go on there and look at photos, but you can actually upload and all that, what have you. Uh, the other thing is, again, if you're in the social media space and you have a social media dashboard, uh, like a Hootsuite, a Sprout, what have you, uh, you can technically post through <laughs> through that way as well. But no, your point is absolutely correct as far as you know, really utilizing a platform in the way and shape in which it was designed. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's the way to do it is on a phone. And that's the way they're built for. It's phone first, desktop second for most of them. Okay. I know we talked about businesses and you definitely hit on the points. I want to move to influencers. Now, I know that this word came about only in the last few years. Can you tell us what is an influencer? Uh, an influencer is someone with a large enough social media following uh, and an engaged enough following that brands see fit to utilize these individuals as endorsements, uh, much like you see celebrity endorsements for other products. Uh, these people have social media accounts uh, with a very primarily focus for, uh, or primary focus rather, uh, for selling products and changing people's minds. Um, and again, going even to the notion of uh, of people wanting to be liked you know, on social media. Again, businesses want to be liked on social media. Uh, and who do you go to to be liked? Who can give you the, the, you know, the, the clout that you need to, to make your impact? Well, of course, it's the popular kid. Uh, and the popular kids are, you know, are quantifiable. How many followers do they have? Um, what's their, you know, who is their, who is their follower base? You know, you want to find the right influencer that matches up with uh, whatever it is that you're trying to sell, try to do, what have you. Uh, just because someone has a big following doesn't mean that it's the right fit for you. Uh, but yeah, they're 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 uh, they're they're here to stay um, uh, because you know, just like people care what celebrities think, um, you know, at the end of the day, influencers are celebrities in their own right. Uh, there's plenty of people who are you know Instagram, TikTok famous. Uh, that are more well-known in households than, you know, a B-list or C-list actor. Uh, so I think that's a, a factor to consider as well. Andrew, let me ask you a question. If a student comes up to me and says, Mr. Suko, I want to be a YouTube star or I want to be an influencer when I grow up, how should I respond to this student? Um, I... I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily dissuade it. Uh, it's not. It wouldn't be my ideal career path. No, no, no. To, I'm to not saying that. To a child. No, no. Let me um, let, let's stop you right yeah. there. I'm, I didn't say I was going to dissuade this student. I just wanted to see what you would say. Yeah, I mean, I would. I would probably have a very similar conversation with that individual. Um, the same way as if they uh, they said they wanted to be a movie star or a professional athlete. Um, the reality is there's, uh, you know, millions of other creators out there that you're competing with. Uh, it takes a lot of time, dedication. Uh, you're going to have to learn new skills. You're going to have to learn, you know, photography, videography, editing. Uh, you're going to have to learn about creating partnerships with, with, with brands. You're going to have to learn about community management and building an audience that uh, if your job, if your, your aspiration is to be an influencer, building an audience that, uh, businesses will want to invest in and want to pay you for. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, again, it's, it's 
no less realistic of a career than again being an actor and moving to California and all that uh, just just like any of those uh, there's a lot of odds out there um, as to what people are looking for and what resonates but you know what you can do it uh, it just takes you know one right video and all of a sudden you can be a star and I think that's definitely the the attachment to it even the jobs that you said kind of that are far reaching have their paths, right? You go into high school, you get into these drama clubs, you go into college, you major in theater, like what you said, you go in, you move to Los Angeles and you try to find an acting agent or acting gigs. And then, yeah, the few really, really good ones make it. But for an influencer or YouTube star, is there really such a path well, I think what's interesting about, you know, being a, uh, you know, social media star or an influencer is you can do it all on your own. And it's kind of like being an entrepreneur. So, you know, it, it, in so many ways, uh, your, your success is your own. I mean, even if you do everything right, you're the, you know, the greatest, most likely to succeed in theater club, you go to theater college, you get your MFA, uh, you move to California. I mean, you might just not be what people are looking for. It's such a subjective field. Um, you know, how many actors actually make it? How many names do you really know for all the people who are in the movies in the background and everything else? Uh, a lot of people don't. It's a, it's a very difficult uh, competitive field. Uh, the interesting thing with, you know, being a YouTube star or anything like that is if you're really willing to put in the time and effort and build your audience and really do what have you, then it's entirely on you. Um, it's not about the agent. It's not about what Hollywood is looking for. It's what, what resonates on TikTok uh, or what resonates on YouTube to, to get people liking and caring about you. Uh, the other thing is it takes a long time. It's, you know, you don't just make that first YouTube video or first TikTok and it's perfect and it's out there. I mean, if you go back to pick any YouTube, TikTok, what have you, star that you like, go back to their first uploads and you can see the growth where it's probably like a webcam and some really bad graphics to where they have like intro songs, you know, the standard, you know, like subscribe, hit that bell, blah, 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 intros. And, you know, they're making good money uh, posting videos multiple times per week. I mean, it's a lot of work to do it, but I mean, if you have that dedication and you're willing to put in the time, uh, you can do a lot with the cell phone. Um, you know, a cell phone does not make you a star, but it definitely gives you the ability to, to make some very, uh, you know, high quality videos that can, can, you know, get you places if that's what you so aspire to do. How can someone navigate social media for good? I mean, so many people get involved in social media in, in the right ways. Um, and it doesn't always work out necessarily, but I mean, I guess that's kind of what, I guess that was one of the allures. Um, you know, again, I got back involved in social media uh, to some extent back in 2007, but you know, it was more over time that I started seeing its, its broader appeal. Uh, I knew it was important because I knew everyone had to be on it and therefore, you know, it was going to stay relevant. Um, I saw, you know, the FOMO of the world, you know, needing to partake in. And I'm like, well, if this is going to be around. I remember having conversations with people who said, oh, no, this is just a fad. It'll be over before you know it. Uh, and, you know, here we are like 15 years after that conversation and it's bigger than ever. Um, you know, so, so I think that's kind of uh, an, an interesting takeaway. But as far as for good, 
I mean, I remember, you know, caring about the uh, the Obama campaign and watching how that kind of grassroots social media movement was, uh, you know, really uh, leveraging social media for for getting what they wanted accomplished, for for building support, for getting people engaged. Um, you know, from a social media perspective and from a political perspective, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I thought it democratized uh, people's ability to speak what they believed and uh, to share thoughts and opinions and to, to really organize. Um, I remember seeing uh, uh, the, the, the Arab Spring and how uh, so many countries across the Middle East were you know, their, their populations were utilizing social media to, to speak truth to power, to try and um, break away from, uh, from people closing down uh, their ability to communicate. I remember people tweeting out, you know, uh, DNS IP numbers that people could use to be able to utilize Twitter so that they could tweet out about what the you know, what was going on behind closed doors. Uh, I think there's an absolute beauty and honesty uh, to social media in that regard, where it can enable, you know, uh, you know, people to unite together uh, for a common purpose uh, for good. Uh, But again, as I've been mentioning throughout, social media is very much a tool and that same tool used by that force of good who's looking for change, who's looking for equality, who's looking for uh, whatever it is they, they, they aspire for. Uh, it can be used by people who are looking to uh, spread hate, to uh, put out you know, inaccurate information. Uh, so again, it kind of goes back to it's all on how you use it. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's, it, it can be something for, for great things. I mean, even thinking about the ice bucket challenge, um, and, and how big of a thing that was and how everyone did a video and people donated, you know, you know, countless dollars and everyone understood what ALS was and, you know, it built so much awareness for it. I mean, without social media, if you just said like, hey, come over to my house, I'm going to throw ice water on my head. And then you go to your house and you don't go <laughs> throw ice water on your head. No one, everyone would have looked at you like you're crazy. Um, but there have just been so many beautiful, wonderful movements that have had such positive impact. But again, you know, there, there are definitely those who utilize social media for nefarious purposes. And uh, it's, it's a really uh, difficult balancing act to try and find the way where you can empower uh, one thing without, you know, uh, enabling another. So we know that social media has been in the headlines and not for good reasons per se. It has been in the headlines with our elections, with presidents, and even now as disinformation, misinformation, and our first amendment, freedom of speech, come into play, how powerful are these Mark Zuckerbergs of the world in controlling what is allowed on their networks and not allowed on their platforms? I mean, at the end of the day, they're private organizations. Uh, Every single user has agreed to a terms of service, just like you would for utilizing Microsoft Office. Um, Again, you can use Microsoft Office to send hateful emails and Outlook and create hateful presentations in PowerPoint and calculate hateful numbers in Excel. Um, And you, you know, 
But at the end of the day, uh, by being a private organization, uh, they retain certain rights. Um, and the First Amendment doesn't apply to what takes place on a, on a private network. Can you go a little bit more into that? Because I think people generalize the First Amendment, freedom of speech, into everything. Yes. And you're saying not quite. Can you yeah. go a little bit more into that? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. Um, the, the First Amendment, you know, gather, allows you for, you know, to have the, the freedom of speech to say what you want, um, but not necessarily in a private area. It doesn't mean you can go anywhere and say anything anytime. It means that in certain circumstances, you, you're allowed to, but when you're entering private property um, or you're on a privately owned uh, network, then that becomes a little bit more um, gray. So um, let's go ahead and with some examples. The classic example is shouting fire in a movie theater. You cannot do that, correct? Yep, correct. Now, you cannot go into a restaurant and start yelling out the F word. They can call the police and ask you to leave the property. Yep. Okay. So those are the examples we're talking about. Yep. And then again, the same is true as if you did those things on uh, on social media. I mean, again, you can't, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure uh, for most of the platforms, if not all, you can't expout, you know, false emergencies and other things like that. That's why they have those report uh, features and, and, yeah, and you, what have you. You can't post a picture of a topless woman. They'll just take it down right away. But again, that depend. But that depends on the platform, and that well, of course, on their terms of, of course, service. yes, we all know that there are certain sites that allow it. But yeah, for the most part, if you're on Facebook and you post a picture of a topless woman, I don't yeah. know if the algorithms will pick it up, but definitely mm -hmm. somebody in your circle will probably report it, and it will be taken down because yeah. you're yet you're online, but you kind of have to look at it as if you're entering an establishment. Yeah. Okay. Um, Exactly. And again, there's a very, you know, when you enter a restaurant, when you go to a movie theater, you don't actually sign a, you know, uh, probably 300 page document uh, of terms of service of how you're going to behave and they still have the right to remove you. Um, so if Facebook decided to say like, hey, we're only allowing, you know, people to talk about, I don't know, uh, you know, purple shoes on our platform, anything that's not about purple shoes will get you banned or removed or something like that. Um, they could do that. I mean, obviously they would die as a platform and people would be very confused, uh, but it is their property and they have the right to do that. Uh, shareholders would probably be the most upset, uh, but you know, it, it, it's, it's just, they can kind of do with it what they so please. And uh, as someone who utilizes a platform for free, uh, who already signed uh, an agreement and sometimes continually agrees to changes that are made to that terms of service, um, that's kind of what happens. Uh, you know, this is why you saw uh, Trump getting banned from from multiple uh, platforms uh, towards the end of his his presidency. Uh, you know, they were able to say, "Hey, yep, you're a president, and you have the freedom of speech, absolutely." Uh, but we just don't want to allow that sort of talk on our on our platform. And they were, you know, legally justified to be able to do that. And he was still able to get his messages out through the whitehouse.gov platform as presidential yep. press releases. Mm -hmm. Understood. I know I listened to Joe, the Joe Rogan podcast, and he did bring up the fact that I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter, 
they were taking down news articles about the lab leak in China as misinformation. But mm -hmm. now we're seeing that the lab leak is kind of credible. And so they stopped taking it down. Do you yep. see that as an overreach by the companies or are you still on the side of they're still a private organization and they can do what they want? Uh, I mean, end of the day, private company, they can do what they want. Uh, it doesn't mean I agree with it. Uh, it doesn't mean I agree with anything that they do. Um, and again, I, I'm not an expert uh, nor claim to be an expert in, you know, First Amendment rights or anything the like. I know this is something that, you know, throughout my entire career in social media has been an ongoing question between legal departments, HR departments, um, what are employees allowed to say online and what are employees not allowed to say online? Do they have to say that they're not uh, representing the organization? Uh, does that make it okay? Uh, if they're online and spouting hateful things, you know, should we fire them? Like, there's a lot of questions that they don't really have super firm answers as of yet, despite kind of the length of social media being around. Uh, but as far as the platforms are concerned, uh, you know, there was a big issue back in, when was this? I want to say maybe 2011, uh, maybe 2012. Uh, if you might recall on Facebook desktop, uh, in the top right corner, there was like a what's trending tab or something like that. And it would basically just link out to, I think like the top three news stories that were being shared kind of to compete with uh, what was trending on, uh, on Twitter. Um, but people got upset because it turned out what was trending and up there was still being cultivated by people. And uh, specifically uh, Republicans were pretty upset about it because the, uh, the, the stories that were being uh, selected were predominantly uh, favorable more towards Democrats to the left, what have you. Um, so that was uh, an area of concern. So whenever there's a controlling of, of what people see and receive, uh, that's where things get a little bit dicey. Um, and I think that's where the algorithmic component, uh, component rather, got a little bit uh, questionable, uh, especially back with the 2016 election. Uh, it, the other factor was also not just from the base platform, but from the, uh, the ability to target Facebook ads. Uh, that was another pretty big component where you can target certain people that you knew would get, you know, irate by certain things and you could be claiming this. And uh, I think it was just one of those things that maybe uh, due to uh, naivety, it was, uh, it was overlooked as far as its importance. Um, but there, there's been a lot of just different cases where going in one direction or the other, um, there, there can be uh, consequences for delivering certain messages. So you had that, you know, top right corner, new, what's trending, news stories, whatever it was called. Uh, that was an area of contention. But then, you know, algorithmically, you'll notice anytime you log in on Facebook or you know, even Twitter, Instagram, everyone's got an algorithm these days. Uh, you see certain people more frequently than others. You see certain news companies more frequently than others. Well, there's a reason for that because you're more likely to engage with that. And, you know, the platform in some silly level thinks that, oh, it's good because you're seeing what you want to see. Therefore, you like the platform. Uh, but when that information is wrong, well, then there's consequences to it. Uh, or if it's purporting, you know, dangerous, you know, really like truly dangerous ideas um, and, and false narratives and what have you. 
uh, it's not really a matter of opinion and it's, you know, feeding uh, these kind of like hateful what have yous. Uh, it, it, it just gets really complicated. And I think there's been a lot of conversation about that. There's been a lot of change taking place from all these organizations. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest thing that social media platforms want to be is relevant, just like us. You know, there's, the, the, there's that irony to it all. Uh, we want to be relevant on their platforms. The platforms want to be relevant to us. And, you know, if at any point a platform no longer, you know, uh, ha has gone too far in one direction or uh, is no longer serving its original need or, you know, has become the, the, uh, the prototypical evil organization, um, then users will show that by leaving their, you know, leaving their platform. That was a big thing with the Facebook exodus, I think after 2016 and people were just kind of revolted by the way things went. And um, after they found out about, you know, the, the Russian ads and targeting and all that, um, people were just like, I don't want to be there. And, you know, so that kind of forced Facebook to notice, hey, you know what, we have to do better. Uh, and I think that's where there's still a semblance of democracy as a user where you can still voice your opinion. Yes, you will be maybe losing out. Uh, yes, there might be some FOMO, uh, but if you believe in something strongly enough, then you can you know, find another platform that better you know, fits your, your, your ideals. There are only about a handful of social media platforms that started out great, but then fell, right? Well, ha the top of mine is Vine and Periscope. Yep. Any other social media apps that gained traction, but then just fell by the wayside? Uh, there was Yik Yak for a little while. Yik Obviously Yak. MySpace. Um, you know, there, there have been other plenty that have kind of come and gone. Um, before there was Periscope, there was actually a third party uh, program called Meerkat. Uh, and if I believe it, it premiered, and I could be wrong about this, I think it was like South by Southwest or something like that. Um, and it was, it was the first time you could tweet live video. They created this app. People lost their minds. It was, you know, game changing. Um, and then, you know, Twitter came along and like, Hey, you're on our platform. We're going to create something that's basically the exact same thing and kind of blew them out of the water with Periscope. Um, and I, honestly, Periscope going away makes sense to me. Uh, it's being a standalone was kind of an odd thing. Uh, the fact that you can just go live natively in Twitter makes a lot more sense. Uh, Vine will always be a sad spot of my life that they went away. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking by getting rid of that. Uh, the creators of it, um, I, I think that Twitter was afraid it was being too much of a, of a distraction from the main platform. But I mean, in every respect, Vine was TikTok long before TikTok was around. Um, it was amazing amateur uh, creators making really amateur, you know, poorly done videos for the most part, but it was great. It was so honest and raw and real. Uh, and the fact that it was just a decision to get rid of it rather than, oh, it wasn't performing well, uh, that one will, will sting for quite some time. Uh, I know the creators of that ended up creating a, an alternate program releasing, I believe, either last year or the year before called Byte, um, which was kind of a, of a TikTok competitor. Uh, but I think truthfully, I mean, I think it's still going on. Uh, and other people have tried to enter that space as well. But I think, unfortunately for them, they're a little late. Uh, and I don't know that there's anything that's going to take on TikTok better than TikTok, at least in that very specific place. Um, I'm sure new media will come out, new apps will come out. 
Um, but as far as competing with TikTok to be TikTok, uh, you know, you saw Reels try and do it with Instagram. Uh, it's still a thing, but a lot of Reels is just recycled TikTok. So uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult space. Once someone owns something, uh, it's really hard to kind of dethrone them. And as far as right now, we do have this up and coming audio room thing where it really yep. started with Clubhouse. Spotify has now their green room and now Facebook is trying to come up with their audio room. But I, I don't want to talk about those in particular because they're really in the now. Andrew, do you have any idea what social media is going to be like in the next five to 10 years? Uh, I, I don't think I can really claim that. I mean, I think as you as you stated, the audio space is uh, is kind of like the new it thing. Uh, Clubhouse blew up partially, I think, because of the pandemic and everyone was home and it was a fun new thing. Uh, I've done a couple of uh, Clubhouse uh, talks and have hosted a couple. I've, I've definitely listened in. Uh, I do know that their, their listening uh, numbers have gone way down, uh, but I know the interest is still there. Uh, Twitter released spaces, and I think that's doing fairly well. I think it fits well with the, the way in which people engage with that platform. Um, and then Facebook, I, just today in today's update, um, I don't believe it was, at least for me, it wasn't uh, in it yesterday, but they added the uh, audio and video rooms tab at the very top of your Facebook feed. So right below what's on your mind, where you can put your status update above uh, stories, which is interesting. Uh, they put the, uh, the audio and video rooms. So it's definitely a space. I'm seeing more and more audio rooms uh, on my timeline. So that's where they're going to be uh, for now. But um, as far as what, you know, what, what's going to be going on five, 10 years down the road, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Uh, so let me, is, let me take happen. a, let me take a few swings at it. How do you sure. think that there could be a possibility of virtual reality and social media coming together? Uh, I mean, it already exists. Uh, Facebook, of course, uh, being the kind of uh, monstrosity that it is and, you know, having its fingers in literally everything. Uh, they've had, two different variations of having a, uh, a social media space that they've built in virtual reality, which is super interesting. I don't know that it's for, you know, every single user out there, uh, but it's definitely a, a different possibility as virtual reality becomes more commonplace. Yeah. Why not? It's a, it's a big, big space. So uh, it really is going to depend. It's really going to depend on what you consider to be um, social media versus alternate reality versus uh, a video game really to, to really try and figure out what that line is. But I think that it's safe to think that Facebook at least is looking in that direction. Uh, they purchased uh, Oculus uh, some years ago and you know they've, they've done a lot truthfully in the world of, of VR to make it more accessible and cheaper so the average person can partake. Uh, I think that's great. But yeah, I can, I can absolutely see virtual reality playing a, a more significant role. And we will see how this episode dates a few years in, from now. And we'll absolutely. probably have to do an updated episode. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. Like I said, there is, uh, you know, there, there already exists social media in the, in the virtual reality. So if that's where we are today, uh, I, I truthfully don't know that I can imagine where we're going to be 10 years from now. Uh, but I think whatever the latest technology is, the whatever uh, pieces of hardware, I think alternate reality is going to be bigger and bigger, especially as 
Facebook, Apple, and others are developing smart glasses to kind of build on the back of uh, uh, whatever that Google project was. I can't remember the name. Google Glass. Google Glass. Thank you. How could I forget?、Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think that that's going to be probably a big new space. I think social media and the way we interact with it will be changing. I don't think it'll just be another app on your phone ten、uh, years from now. But yeah, we'll see.、Uh, we'll see how.、Uh, How this、uh, podcast ages and wh- where we end up in ten years, Andrew. Any last advice for the listeners when it comes to social media? Um, try a little bit of everything.、Uh, you know, see what other people are into, even if it's not for you.、Uh, you know, hop on TikTok just to understand where the world is,、uh, but always kind of self-check yourself. Make sure you're not getting addicted. Uh, make sure that you're you're remembering to hydrate and that you're、uh, able to you know continue your living your life both you know online and offline、uh, in such a way that you know makes you happy. Andrew, how can someone find you and talk to us a little bit about your consulting side? Sure.、Uh, if you're looking to find me,、uh, you can find me on LinkedIn fairly easily,、uh, just under Andrew Cassidy. And then, as far as Twitter,、uh, my handle is Andrew underscore Cassidy.、Uh, feel free to follow, shoot me a message, what have you.、Uh, as far as Cassidy Consulting,、uh, as mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that is my、uh, personal consulting company, doing everything from、uh, crisis communications, PR, marketing, what have you.、Uh, you can visit us at CassidyConsulting.com,、uh, and obviously, always happy to hear from people and. Willing to help whoever I can in the process. Andrew, I want to thank you personally for coming onto my podcast. You have been a great guest. Thank you for all of your insights. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been、uh, it's been really great、uh, being able to talk about this with you, and、uh, always happy to to answer any questions you might have. Excellent. The title of this episode is "Social Media and Its Influence" with Andrew Cassidy. This has been the Life Teacher Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye.